to say nothing. I resisted the temptation. So I want to say some things, and I want to begin with looking at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. This chapter depicts a very crucial time in Israel's history. King Uzziah has just died. He has been the sovereign in Israel for 52 years. And he has died, and so it's a troubling, unsettling time. And here is one man's experience in the midst of that crisis. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, And with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing but never understanding, Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their hearts dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, O Lord? And he answered, Until the cities be ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. As I woke up on Wednesday morning, I thought of this chapter, and I paraphrased it. So here is that paraphrase with apologies to the prophet. In the year that Barack Obama was re-elected president of the United States, in the year that some states voted to legalize gay marriage and marijuana for recreational use. In the year that our state elected an openly lesbian candidate to be our next U.S. Senator. In the year that our neighboring state, Minnesota, could not bring itself to define marriage as being between one man and one woman. Some were gripped by disappointment, despair, even desperation, thinking that perhaps the world was coming to an end. But the group of believers called Bethany Baptist Church of Schofield, Wisconsin, had an entirely different perspective. You see, they had their eyes on the one and only Lord God Almighty, the president of all presidents, the sovereign of all sovereigns, the master of all masters, the power above all powers, the authority above all authorities, the ruler of all rulers, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. They placed their trust and hope in no earthly kingdom or ruler or politician, 
but rather in the kingdom of God, the person of Jesus Christ, and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. With this clear vision of the heavenly kingdom burning in their hearts, they came together humbly confessing their misguided loyalties, repenting of their stubborn tendency to believe that an election or a political party could change the downward path of a nation, crying out to God for mercy and cleansing and revival, saying, God, show us yourself. Show us the ugliness of our sin and forgive us. Show us how to be your people for such a time as this, in such a society as this, one which ignores you and rebels against you. And God said, there is the church I can use. There are the people after my own heart, empty of themselves but full of me, fully aware of their own sin, unworthiness, and incapability, but also fully aware of my grace greater than their sin and my power seen precisely in their weakness. As I sent my only begotten Son into the world to save it, so I am now sending them to be my ambassadors, my representatives, my voice, my presence in the world that I long for with an everlasting love. Let's pray together. Oh God, our hearts grieve for our nation. We recognize that we no longer live in a nation that in any way can call itself Christian. But God, hope burns anew because our eyes are on you. We would not condemn our nation. We pray for it. We grieve for it. We long and love it like you do. Show us how to be your people in 2012. Amen. Now I'd like you to turn to Psalm 137, which is the text of the message this morning. Psalm 137, verses 1 through 4. Again, speaking for the people of Israel. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs, our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Have you ever felt out of place? Like a ninth grader on the first day of high school with his heart full of fear and his mouth full of cotton and his face full of acne? Or maybe you are a Viking fan living in Wisconsin? <laughs> Ha, ha, ha. 
or a Christ follower in a godless society? Or like the girl that wrote these words, do you ever feel like breaking down? Do you ever feel out of place? Like somehow you just don't belong and no one understands you? Do you ever want to run away? Do you ever lock yourself in your room with the radio turned up so loud that no one can hear you scream? To be hurt, to be lost, to be left out in the dark, to be kicked when you're down, to feel like you've been pushed around, to be on the edge of breaking down when there is no one to save you? Well, neither that girl nor we have experienced the extent of feeling out of place like the Israelites felt because Psalm 37 was written after they had been taken captive in Babylon. They were far from the sights and sounds and symbols of their homeland. They find themselves in a strange, foreign, godless land, and it's difficult for them to remember that they are the chosen people of God. And these words drip with loneliness and loss and longing, and they sense the distance, and they sink into despair. And then comes the haunting question, how can we sing the Lord's song in this strange foreign land? It's a question for us also. How on earth can we sing and speak of our Lord in this strange land? How often in the past 10 or 15 years have you heard or perhaps you have asked yourself the question, spoken the words yourself, what is happening? I don't even recognize my nation anymore. Well, I want to extract three undeniable truths from that question. And the first truth is the most obvious and that is that this is indeed a very strange land in many respects. With respect to change, uh, someone with way too much time on his hands recently researched the knowledge explosion and he said, let's imagine that in the year 0 AD we had one unit of knowledge. It took 1,500 years for that unit to become two units. And then it took 250 years for that two unit to become four units. And another 150 years for the four units to become eight. And that brings us up to the year 1900. And he said, today it takes a year and three months for knowledge to double. Uh, and change is not only difficult for us old fogies, but it's probably kind of difficult even for you young people because you go to Best Buy and buy the latest gadget, and by the time you get to the car, it's obsolete. With respect to change, this is a strange land. Also with respect to truth, the philosophers of our day and popular culture tell us this, there is no absolute truth. Truth is relative, depending on who says it, when, where, and why they say it. A little do they realize that by saying that, they have demolished their own argument. Because they say, in effect, 
there is no absolute truth except the fact that there's no absolute truth. <laughs> Professing themselves to be wise, they have become fools. Sort of like the fifth grader who was in the card shop and he was looking at the birthday cards, anniversary cards, sympathy cards, and finally the clerk came up to him and he said, may I help you? And he looked at the clerk and said, well, yes, you probably could. Do you have anything along the lines of blank report cards? <laughs> and that brings us to another reality. This is a strange world with respect to morality. The logical result of no absolute truth is that there is no right or wrong. Sin no longer exists. There are honest mistakes. There are emotional defects. There's antisocial behavior. There are issues. There are errors in judgment. This past week, if you have been following General Petraeus and the description of what he did, you undoubtedly have not heard the word sin. Errors in judgment? Yes, but certainly not sin. Yahoo did a recent survey with this question. What is morality? Is there such a thing as right and wrong? And here is the consensus answer to that question. The creation of moral principles comes from within each person, not from a distinct, detached, objective reality. Each individual is the source and definer of his or her subjective ethical code. And each one has equal power and authority to define morality the way he or she sees fit. In other words, do whatever feels right to you. Whatever seems right, anything goes. The new normal, brothers and sisters, is not just a television show. This is the new normal that we face in our land. What a strange lost land in which we live. Well, what are we to do? Let's go to another psalm, Psalm 11. And the psalm psalmist helps us with the answer, but more than that, he, he gives us the question that we need to ask. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, we can look at that question as one of despair and resignation. You remember what the, the Israelites did in Psalm 137? They gave us a perfect pattern of how not to do it. They sat, they were sorrowful, and they were silent the exact formula of how not to answer that question. 
or we can look at that question as one of hope and determination. That brings us to the second undeniable truth. There is indeed a song that needs to be heard. When we look at our world, when we look at our nation, when we look at our neighbors, we can look at them in disgust and disdain, or we can look at them with compassion and consider the situation which we face as a call, as an exciting opportunity to be God's people <clears throat> in such a society, in such a time as this. Note, first of all, that it's whose song? It's the Lord's song. It's his. It's not our song. Too often we have sung our own song and made up our own lyrics and danced to our own rhythm rather than God's. And the result has been a dissonant, flat, and empty song. Well, what is the Lord's song? In one word, it's the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. And what is the gospel? It is the good news of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. It's the good news of salvation, and that word means wholeness. If ever our world has need wholeness, getting it together, it's right now. The good news of joy in the midst of sorrow, hope in the midst of grief and despair, reconciliation in the midst of a world that's full of anger and bitterness, meaning in a world filled with purposelessness and compassion in the midst of a careless world. That brings us to the third undeniable truth. We must do the singing. If we don't do it, it ain't going to get done. And with the psalmist, we need to ask the question, why is it that God has put us here in this godless society? Is it to punish us? Is he playing some kind of game with us? Or is it his perfect plan so that we might shine in the darkness, so that we might make God known? If this world does not see Christ in us, it will be very difficult for them to see him at all. Someone said, without God, we can't. But without us, God won't. And I don't know why he decided to do it that way. If I had been God, I would have done it some other way. I wouldn't have trusted my people. And so we have three choices. We can isolate. We can insulate ourselves to the world. We can separate ourselves and look at the world as the enemy. We can flee like a bird to the mountain, like apparently was suggested in Psalm 137. We can retreat. We can act like monks without a monastery. We can curl up in a ball in the fetal position and hide ourselves from the world. Now that's what, kind of what we did back in the 50s and the 60s. I grew up in a church where we were proud that we didn't drink or smoke 
or dance or go to movies or play cards or associate with anyone who did such evil things. We isolated ourselves from the world. Now the opposite extreme would be to imitate. We can imitate. And I rather suspect that's what the church tried to do in the 1970s and the 1980s. We attempted to compromise, to make ourselves acceptable to the world. We identified with the world and proclaimed that we're not so different than the world, but the result was that we lost our identity and we lost our integrity. I praise God that recently there has been a mid-course correction. And that brings the third possibility, we can infiltrate. We can be the church in the world, neither withdrawing from the world nor compromising with the world. See, God saved us out of the world precisely in order to send us back into the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And I believe that it is possible to be both refreshingly distinct from the world and resolutely determined to be God's people in the middle of the world. Why is it that God placed you in the family that he placed you in? Why is it that he plopped you in the neighborhood that you live in? Why is it that he gave you the job that you have? Why is it that he sent you to the school that you're going to? I think it has to do with deployment. You see, we're in a battle just as surely as our soldiers, our veterans, we're involved in a battle. And every morning when we wake up, we are being deployed by our Lord, by our God, by our Savior to go into that world so that in the power and dependence on the Holy Spirit we can infiltrate, we can be the good news to those who are just existing, they don't know why, they don't know how, we can demonstrate the reality of abundant life in Jesus Christ. I would suggest that we involve ourselves in laser evangelism. I don't know a whole lot about lasers, but I know they're a fantastic reality that God has allowed us to discover because it can pinpoint in medicine, you know, that laser can pinpoint the cells that need to be destroyed and save the cells that need to be saved. Or in battle, they can zero in on a very particular enemy. You see, we can't reach the whole world, but we can reach someone Someone beside us in our family, in our neighborhood, in our job, in our school. 
many times the en enemy kind of gives away his secret and if you've read the screw tape letters you remember that screw tape says to his underling go ahead let Christians love the whole world just as long as it's no one in particular you see we need to pray specifically we need to pray precisely we need to be laser evangelists and we come to the conclusion who is equal to such a task no one no one is equal to such a task in himself in herself but praise God we are equipped by his word by his spirit by his love surrounded by his people I end with this and ask that this be our prayer Phillips Brooks said pray not for tasks that are equal to your strength pray for strength that is equal to your tasks let's pray God we confess that many times we are tempted to give up to hang up our musical instruments and to shut up to be silent before the majority of those who don't even know you but God we believe that you did not save us in order to make us cowards you didn't call us to be silent you called us precisely to infiltrate this world with the good news demonstrating the reality of abundant life in Jesus Christ and God undoubtedly you have brought names and faces to our minds and into our hearts in these moments a member of our family a neighbor that we have ignored and perhaps looked down upon our colleagues at work our schoolmates God give us your vision give us the courage to be your people and we will praise you because glory will be brought to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.